It is Friday. It is once again Toy Department time. I'm Derek Madden. He's Matt Kolsky. It feels like, feels like it's been a minute since we've done this. Well, it has by our usual standards. Um, although, uh, you know, I guess every other week is our usual standard for one more cycle. But uh, yeah, I miss talking to you every week. On the other hand, I literally could not be more overwhelmed by my <laughs> current situation. So uh, I appreciate the slowdown. Yeah, that's that's uh, you know sometimes life life gets in the way of podcasts. Um, yeah, yeah. That, it turns out, convenient. especially podcasts that you've never marketed or sold for any money at all. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, how are you? You're in a you're in a new place now, right? Nope, whole new city. A new city, yeah. I mean, um, that's a new place, sort of. Right. Yeah, no, we are waiting for our house, which is still almost a month away, and it is torture. It's a really bad situation. Well, uh, my children are, are not handling it well, um, and there are a lot of things that need to be done by me during daytimes when I am also trying to watch two children uh, under the age of five. So it is challenging, to say the least. Um and meanwhile, my wife is working full time out of my parents' condo where we are living as a six some in what is intended to be a one bedroom. So it is uh, it is a lot. Yeah, that seems like a lot. Seems like a lot. Um, maybe by the time you guys move into the new place, I'll have stopped adjusting the uh, time zone difference to our <laughs> to our schedule. <laughs> meetings yeah i mean i specifically put central time in my sure request sure this did. week so i did everything still, i could for you still out of the two hours yeah yep. <laughs> uh but that's all right uh because i'm here it. and yeah. i'm ready to go there and we go. got plenty of stuff to talk about right Let's we watched a lot of things i think i i think i i think i wrote them down even oh wow uh, <laughs> we're off to a good start today is there anywhere in particular you want to start because I, I I got no idea. So there's there's a wide variety of things. Yeah, here. I mean the thing I've watched most recently uh, is the second episode of Justified City Primeval. Um, and I guess much to my surprise, although perhaps not to yours, if you were more locked in 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 the roll up to this release, uh, the city Primeval appears to be Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised in that it's an Elmore Leonard uh, thing, based thing. Right, right. And I feel like a lot of those take place in Detroit. Maybe. So uh, so from that sense, I was not surprised. And also, uh, you know, he's a U.S. Marshal. He moves around a little bit, right? There's been some I other guess... stories outside of Kentucky. Yeah, sure. But, but I guess I just expected the city primeval to be the same city that justified had always been in. And that is not the case. Yeah. But I mean, the, just, I mean, justified wasn't really in a city, right? Like he was based on Lexington for the TV series, I guess. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was mostly in the hollers, as they say around those parts. Right. I guess I figured they were just, it was, they were saying the hollers primeval, but they were not. (laughs) They were not. Correct. (laughs) No, it's very fair. I I clearly didn't think it through in any depth until this moment right now that we're having. Um, (laughs) But I was like, oh, Detroit. Okay. Fair enough. Let's rock and roll. Uh, Beyond that, it is pretty much. All the stuff you recognize and love about Justified, except for the characters, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a whole bunch of like, oh yeah, I remember him from the original series type of stuff. But other than that, it's 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 got the same heart. There's no question about that. Yeah, it sure does. And look, I just watching Timothy Oliphant suit up on that character is uh, a particular joy. Yes. Uh, you know. Watching bad guys do their thing, and Boyd Holbrook certainly seems like he's having a lot of fun. Uh, that's pretty cool, too. I, I'm with all of that so far. Yeah, it is uh, it is a good time. And uh, I'm glad you brought up Boyd Holbrook, because we've had a Boyd Holbrook-heavy week. And I really find that guy to be charming, whether he's being a total psychopath which we've seen him do a few times or like a relatively, uh, you know, innocuously well-meaning goofball Southerner, as we saw in a different thing we watched this week. I, I find him incredibly charming. Even, and I don't know if you want to transition to vengeance. Cause I look, I, I think justified is, is like, if you like justified, you're going to be in on this, you know what I mean? If you yeah, like and- And I would add, it's pretty straightforward. It is. It is. But I would add, like, I don't think it. I mean, look, obviously, if if you were like, I think I want to lock into Timothy Oliphant as uh, Marshall Raylan Givens, I would say start at the beginning. But I don't know that you couldn't start here. Like, obviously, you won't have the same relationship with the character, but my instinct is if you were going to like the original justified, you'd like this without even watching it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, essentially it feels like a Raylan Givens bottle story. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, and I don't think you really need to know the backstory of him. Um, you know, that you kind of get justified. Uh, but that backstory is very rich and certainly worth plunging into. If you'd like this, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that Hal Holbrook, even playing a, a, a more stumbly, nice Southern guy, like brings a bit of psycho to the whole thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, he, he feels right at the edge of spinning apart at almost any given time. Yeah. Um, which I, I sort of liked. I, I, I thought vengeance, like, I guess the word I would say is underrated. Like uh, my my feeling after watching this was like, why why didn't I hear more about this? I mean, I remember it being out, right? Uh, but I thought it was really good, and and I thought there were some some surprising performances. Like I I don't know if I've seen Ashton Kutcher uh, do do any work as good as the work I thought they did in this. So I would agree uh, it was a particularly acting heavy version of ashton kutcher like ashton kutcher is one of those dudes who in almost everything he's ever done just feels like he's playing either himself or a slightly goofier version of himself 
and this is a role where he is definitely not playing that guy. He's no. playing a different guy. <laughs> um, and I agree. He was he was quite good. Uh, he's he's believable as a guy who went to Yale. So <laughs> yes, I I I don't know. And I hate to say this because he's obviously very talented and wrote and I believe directed this whole thing. Um, the biggest thing between me and saying this was a really excellent movie is BJ Novak's acting. Because I don't totally buy him as kind of anything. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, but I don't it, know. Bemused podcast reporter. No, it's not a role that I think took a lot of stretching for him, but sort of seemed to be in that kind of in his range. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and I guess it is. Like, it wasn't. It, uh, I really like this movie, um, and it wasn't a huge problem. But like, he, it, it did. Uh, uh, it very much felt like a, a bunch of people acting around someone in the way that like Seinfeld, you know, uh, exists. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fair. So so uh, so that would be my biggest criticism but I mean it it is a really clever story. It's not like super twisty and turny and and fool you type of mystery, but there's a little cute little mystery at the center of it and everyone around BJ Novak really is great. Um there's some really just some great Issa Rae. There's Boyd Holbrook we already mentioned, but like all the kids in the family, and then uh, Jerry from uh, Succession as the mom, I thought was really good. So yeah, said it, said it. I this is I'll, kind I'll of like a me. yeah, it's kind of like a classic. Everybody's really good, and it's a cute little story type of indie film that that I I, I would agree is weird. It slid so far under the radar. It explores some of the territory that we've talked about. I think in other things, like you know, sort of our obsession with crime podcasts and um uh you know some of the i guess uh rural city cultural divide kind of stuff that i think has been in a lot of contemporary stuff but i i thought it did it in an interesting way agreed i, I for instance doing a mystery and being and being funny you know yes. like it's funny it was really funny and i i like laugh out loud funny and i i enjoyed this as an exploration of those themes much more than I enjoyed the lock episode of black mirror. And I, I don't, you know, maybe that's a quality thing, but I think as much as anything, that is just that like the black mirror version was the sort of horror, um, version of exploring those themes. And this was the quirky comedy version. And I prefer the quirky comedies. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, and it also, I think, really does get right down to the central appeal of Whataburger. <laughs> I have I don't know that I've ever had Whataburger, but is that you weighing in as a Whataburger denier? No, no, I'm not even denying it. It's like the thing about it just being there is true and yet also doesn't really explain it at all. <laughs> It's one of those things of when you just you eat it, it's you right kind of there. I mean, I'd laugh my yeah. ass off at that scene. It, <laughs> this was that, like, yeah, all, everyone, everyone who spins in this bizarre circle around BJ Novak is really delightful. Yep, I suspect someday you find yourselves in a Texas airport, you'll get a Whataburger, and it'll all it all makes sense. 
I don't feel um, like I, I don't feel like that counts. I feel like I have to actually go into Texas. Yeah, I, I you have to go. go or, I have to go boots on the ground, quite literally, in order to actually say I've had Whataburger. The airport Whataburger does There's, not feel like it counts to me. I've definitely uh, Whataburger a few times in Austin, but it's tough because they get in and out there, and you know I really, I really miss in and out. So, and uh, and yeah, that's when I get my late night burger heart if it, if if I have chance. I hear you. But the Texans prefer the Whataburger to In-N-Out like, by by a good bit, I will say. Yeah, I'm about to start missing In-N-Out. It hasn't happened yet, but any day now. Yeah, yeah. Although you've got a, a ton of great food pleasures coming back. Well, and life. also specifically burgers. Um, so, you know, I, won't, I, I will not want for good burgers in the city of Chicago. That's for sure. Even no. in the city of Evanston. Right. The, one of the best burgers <laughs> in the whole Chicagoland area and great cheese fries is in the shadow of ryan field uh where the northwestern wildcats if there are any left by the start of the season will play football this year <laughs> where they go after they do all their hazing yeah exactly exactly <laughs> sorry i guess i shouldn't almost always here. almost always fully clothed once they get to the field but <laughs> it's, um, re- it's required in the burger joint i would assume <laughs> yeah definitely for burgers have to be i just dressed. joked about naked hazing i i probably need to stop um yep yeah we've taken this too far we've gone too far into the toy department okay (laughs) we're back let's talk about uh i don't know what's next oh sure (laughs) you know the wham documentary you texted me that you were afraid you wouldn't be able to stay awake through it and i gotta say i'm surprised because i found it to be while no more essential than the music of wham um, a, a, an interesting little and not very long documentary about a band that um, probably deserves more of my respect than they have previously received just from a, or at least George Michael does, from a, a, a songwriting and um, creation standpoint. And it's a pretty incredible little story, the Wham! story. Yeah, uh, let me let me be clear. Uh, I definitely did fall asleep several times while watching this. I think I think I watched it. I don't know, probably five or six different times. I queued it up, um, so that did happen. But it had nothing to do with the source material. It was much more about me watching it late at night in bed. I right. I think I explained gotcha. this. Okay. I, I only get Netflix in the TV with my in, that's in my bedroom now. Right. 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 Because uh, of the password crackdown. So. Right. 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 Inevitably, I'm watching Netflix in bed, and I will now fall asleep to anything that Netflix has on. So okay. it's not. Yeah. Not well, that's content. probably the right place for Netflix at this point in time, based on our previous discussions. But putting that <laughs> part aside, um, I got I got to say I gained a tremendous amount of respect. I I and this is nothing more than my own historical you know music history deficiency it's a, it's a little bit before your time right it is. The, the was like only four years right and it was kind of you weren't it's like before my time but the music is certain like i know the four wham songs you know what i mean right. what yeah. i what i prop what i would have and I, all i was gonna say is if if you had asked me like who the songwriter behind Wham was, I probably would have guessed that it was some nameless or perhaps even famous, uh, you know, pop songwriting producer that, you know, in the in the vein of a Max Martin or something. I, I, I did not realize what a almost bizarrely gifted songwriter George Michael was. Yeah. That I mean, I think that's obviously that's the key part of the movie, right? Is that like 
you know, this thing that the guy started as a lark, you know, kind of a fun hang thing, and really yeah. the spreading is shared equally in the beginning. Right. Um, you know, they quickly realized that one guy is a genius and the other guy is a guy. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And and <laughs> I think what's something to handle, right? Totally. And what's incredible actually about this story outside of just the talent of George Michael is the fact that the other guy who is forgettable enough that I've already forgotten his name again, Andrew. Andrew something. Ridgely is there his name. Go. Andrew Ridgely. He is, I think, perhaps the only co-frontman in music history to gracefully and willingly accept the fact that he's the guy and the other guy is the genius and to just kind of smilingly fade into the background at the appropriate time. It's remarkable and it speaks to their friendship, which, which was really the most enduring thing here. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think there was, you know, there's clearly a point, you know, it's obviously look, George Michael's no longer with us. So you're only getting, I guess, selected parts of his thought process then. Uh, although I thought it was incredible how much like good audio of George Michael was in this documentary. Yeah, they had uh, good audio of everybody. That was another thing yeah. that was really great. Um, You know, I think there was clearly seemed to be a period where it was like, where he was like, I know that I'm, you know, I could be doing this solo on my own. And I, and I think I have ambitions that are maybe greater than Andrew's. But I also don't really want to do this without him. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. he kind of makes this fun for me. And so, like, you know, it's just such a different thing. I mean, I, you know, I remember um doing a thing with the goo goo dolls, uh, like a radio thing in the you know, in the late nineties when they were really blowing up. And I got Robbie. You know, you know, there's kind of like the two guys that sing in Goo Goo Dolls. The two guys write songs in Goo Goo Dolls, and the one you probably know is Johnny. He's the one that wrote all Johnny the Johnny Resnick, yeah, yeah, right. And I got Robbie to. He was supposed to call in to talk about set up this Black Balloon song that was their single at the time. It was a pretty good jam, by the way, Black <laughs> Balloon. And he didn't want to talk about any of it because he didn't write the song. Oh, and yeah, I'm like, right. well, I'm like, well, great, thanks. This is really helpful for me. And it's you a could classic radio feel, guy dilemma right there. Yeah, you you could just feel the tension, you know, that was kind of inherent in in that. I've like, had that when like a sports guy wants to talk about something, but not the thing he ought to be talking about. It's yeah, the worst. Yeah, it, it, it just kind of, I don't know. It's it's a tough spot, and and really around that time of wham, like it was sort of a weird time for that, right? Like you had. Uh, Tears for Fears, yeah. and you had notes. You right. know what I mean? Where it was like they're a duo, but it really seems like one guy is kind of doing most of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like Andrew originally was really was the subject of a lot of jokes. Like there were a lot of like, look at this guy's pretty useless. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, it must have also been weird for him too. And no doubt, uh, no doubt. I'm so glad that he kind of like like to see that he was able to make peace with it. I'm guessing the fact that like Wham checks probably still rolling in pretty regularly for, for Andrew probably helps with the whole deal. Yeah, man. I like, I don't think wake me up before you go, go is short on streams. I'll say that. Uh, it is not, uh, it is, uh, it's also currently in a Volkswagen commercial, right? Pretty yeah. prominent. Yeah. And I'm going to guess they got a nice check for, and, uh, you, you know, in the epilogue, um, because the whole last Christmas thing is pretty interesting. 
because I'm fully oh, with right. you. Like, well, that that's like an all time Christmas song. It is. Oh. I, I was talking to my wife about this after we watched the documentary. Can you think of another original Christmas song in the last fifty years that that made any impact whatsoever? Yes, there's. Uh, it's the Mariah Carey "All I Want for Christmas." I would say is, is that good. original? I could have sworn that sure was a is. cover. Pretty sure she that wrote up. that. Okay, yeah. well, I, 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 ha- I did think of that, but I thought it was. Um, I didn't realize she wrote that. Yeah, I believe she did. Which again, uh, I didn't. I, I would not have imagined that George Michael wrote these songs. So uh, shows <laughs> shows how much. Uh, like I really need to lock in and respect pop musicians for their craft. Uh, songwriters. She wrote. She co-wrote it. Okay. Well, with a man named Walter Afniasef, but yeah, she's okay. But that's but it's not it's not a cover. So yeah, I mean yeah. those are the two. It like in in, I mean since Bing Crosby basically those are the two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would agree. <laughs> it's it's pretty incredible. It's a pretty incredible achievement, and to to become those are both I would say essential Christmas songs. Like I guarantee, if there's an essentials Christmas playlist on on apple or spotify both of those songs are near the first like they're in the first five or seven songs on that list you know what i'm saying it's like jingle bells and those songs it's it's a remarkable songwriting achievement so george michael gets for you know if you have didn't watch it for the homework george michael sort of gets in this conundrum where he's got this song he he knows it's really good uh but he's also involved in the band-aid do they know that it's christmas which by the way for me if we're going essential Christmas songs, probably I'm taking Last Christmas and Do They Know It's Christmas as my first two, honestly. I've never heard that um, song in my life before this documentary. <laughs> you've never heard Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid? Not, not to my knowledge, no. I, I, don't, I don't love Christmas songs. I'm, I'm, just, I don't a, either. I'm just a young Jew uh, who's no longer very young but still very Jewish. I, I but don't... it's like, you know, I mean, they got – it's obviously it's the precursor to We Are the World. They got all the Brit- – right. These stars you can see from the video, right? Uh, like, yes, I yeah, but I I do not have any memory of that song. So so that is wow. not on my Christmas essentials. It's still, like it's definitely one that like you know gets played every year still. So um, anyway, so he sings on that song as well, and uh, that song goes to number one in Britain because obviously it's a media sensation, and you know it's not just you know you got right. the police, you two, and no, uh, I mean the talent yeah. assembled there is remarkable. I, not that I remember her being there, but uh, R.I.P. Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think that was maybe a little bit before her, but yes, R.I.P. Um. So yeah, so he gets aced out. <laughs> he's, he's you know, and he's kind of bummed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, oh. and, but but honestly, the fact that 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 what that was all about, right, was having the like. Was it three or four number ones in one year? Three number ones in one year. Four, it was four number ones in one year. Yeah, that right. was his, his goal. And, and, and number he, one Christmas is a is a big deal in and of itself in England. At least it was at the time. Well, and and here's the thing: like he still got it, basically. <laughs> you know, yeah. he may not have written and produced that one, but like the only thing that could beat. George Michael and Wham was George Michael and a bunch of other famous English people. Like <laughs> he, he, he really, it is. And that whole time he's what, 22 years old or something. I mean, yeah, it, I have to say like, it's just 
so much more the story of an incredible artist than I would have expected. And and the one thing that's negative at all that I would have to say about this is at the end, I really wanted more George Michael documentary footage. You know, yeah. I wanted to go through the rest of the life of George Michael. So maybe there's well, a sequel uh, to this. Well, that and that's that. the thing. If you think about it, right? Like when it breaks up in 86, try to think of this. Something like that. But I mean, and just then, to think about and that. Faith, Faith comes out in 87, right? Like, and then, yeah, he, and then freedom, is solo like, freedom is 90, right? So there's like a <laughs> yeah. lot more stuff to do here, not to mention like his sexuality and, and his arrest. And like, there is so much to do. And like you said, it's all just, just enough before my, I mean, I'm alive for all of this. Right. But barely. And it's mm. just enough before my time that like, I just remember hints and whispers and rumors and headlines of this stuff. And I'm sure I'd learn a lot from, from the actual, you know, life of George Michael's story. And, and by the way, I would also just add that not unlike what I said about Andrew Ridgely's willingness to just fade back and let George Michael become George Michael. He also that like how many bands legitimately have an incredibly successful goodbye concert that is actually the goodbye concert that goes off great and everyone's happy with it yeah no that does that that just never happens no. <laughs> maybe, maybe you get the goodbye concert everyone's happy with it but then they come back for then more later more right yeah. yeah nobody ever voluntarily you just know rides off in the sunset yeah yeah it's really it like it is a wild and very, extremely unique story of a band's incredibly fast rise to the most incredible superstardom and then s sort of oddly gracefully leave everyone wanting more. Yeah. We didn't even get to like George Michael being ready to come out at like 19 yeah. and basically the band talking him out of it, you know? Right, um, and and I, and that was so interesting too because you could tell the people who were involved in that, his band members, like they didn't necessarily feel good about it, and it wasn't about the band; it was about his dad. Um, but there's clearly like some guilt over that because I think not coming out earlier, it may have changed the fortunes of the band had he done that. It absolutely may have, but it also might have made him a, a, a happier and more fulfilled person because it was something he clearly struggled with for a long time. Yeah. And it's certainly like, you know, I think that, you know, you could say like it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do for them to do that. Right. But I think they were right. Like their thought process was pretty right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, would have been really hard with him and his dad if, yeah. if he'd done that. So, um, you know, I it, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one on the way around, but uh, what a, what an interesting story, right? There's like more to this band um, that you know seemed like such lightweight fluff. And, right. You know, shout out to Elton John, by the yeah, way, who really who, got he gets it, man. <laughs> he he was always a guy that was re even to this day really interested in in what's happening now and new music and ha and really has a good eye. For new talent and he was on those guys at a time when they were real still still really a joke where he's like i think they're that the incredible songwriters and like he knew it you know so good for him uh, i <laughs> i mean there are many things about elton john that are aspirational um but 
perhaps the most realistic, uh, realistically achievable for anyone. And I think perhaps one of the most admirable is essentially what you just described, which is that he's the opposite of every crusty old dude or lady who wants to discredit what comes next. He, he <laughs> it, and I don't know, like, especially now at 80, whatever he is, I, I don't know how well or completely Elton John necessarily understands every popular thing that has come, you know, since his debut, however many years ago. Um, but he's not like, I just never want to be the guy that discredits the kids' stuff because it's kids' stuff and yeah. because it's not for me and I don't get it. Like, I, I, I think that is one of the most admirable things about Elton John, and he goes out of his way, I think, to connect with, in particularly in music, but just generally culturally with, with the generations behind him. Yeah, you know, we, we talked uh, during the year-end uh, episode uh, whenever that was earlier this year about some of my favorite music stuff. And I mentioned this like English punk band called yard act. Yes. Maybe one of the more out there things that I like to listen to. And he shows up on their record. <laughs> like I, He found that way before I did. I don't, I don't know what's going on and why, why he would want to do a song with this band that I don't think that many people even know now. Um, yeah. But there he's, I don't know. Good for Elton, man. He's, he's, he's a true original. A remarkable life, that one. The Elton John life. A remarkable yeah. life. Uh, yeah, they should make a movie. Oh, wait, they did. Um, yeah, I have a feeling it won't be the last one. He's only 76. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, still some time left. Um, all right, should we pivot to uh, uh, the sports documentaries? I think that's what's left on our list, yeah. We've got, uh, we've got the league, and we've got Goliath. Where do you want to start? Um... Let's actually let's start with Goliath because I think it was a lot. There was a lot more data. It was significantly longer three three hour long episodes, so probably twice as long as the Wham documentary. Um, and <laughs> very different character, certainly. But I think what it shares, at least for my experience of it, is that. There was a lot I did not know about Wilt Chamberlain and that plenty of it I found to be relatively surprising, but almost all of it really enjoyable to learn. And and I don't think it is very often that you watch a documentary about a sports star and they turn out to be a significantly more like kind-hearted and thoughtful person than you had ever imagined, you know. Yeah, like the the the, the nice people in in the sports world. I feel like I'm pretty aware of, um, and obviously this was a long time ago. But to learn the little touches about Wilt, I mean, the way the documentary, the way the whole series ends with the guy saying, you know, the, that's the Wilt I choose to remember about Wilt essentially out of nowhere and for no conceivable personal gain talking to his daughter who's about to die of cancer as a teenager 
um, like yeah. for I, an I hour once a it week. It was personal gain in some way, you know what I mean, right? And like that, I think will really got a lot out of that. Oh, you know sure, I mean? sure, sure, yeah. sure. But you know what I mean. To to uh, for nothing other than to feed his soul, essentially. He did this incredible thing, and and I, I think it's it is incredibly noteworthy that in three hours, the thing that is most often repeated by all the people who knew him best is what a sort of kind and gentle soul he was. Um, it's pretty incredible relative to the image that you know, as several people pointed out, really is as much about that one lie about 20,000 women as anything else. Yeah. Like, it, that is as significant. That and 100 points in a game are basically the two things that define the, the most public legacy of Wilt Chamberlain. As and, I think Jamal Hill said, it's like, yeah, he did always put up numbers. Exactly. And those are those are the two. One of them is a throwaway lie that was supposed to help promote a book and and essentially didn't work. The other is, you know, an incredible single game achievement, but but ver uh, that that actually does very little to define his career as a player. And, and I think most people would also be surprised to know he had two titles. I mean, I, that I did know, but I think yeah, I most people would be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I think there there are these sort of like you know. I think a lot of people would be surprised to know he won an assist title. Um, yeah, you know, uh, that, that, that's one of my of favorite sports facts. And yeah. and and that's another thing I did know about Wilt is that it's not just that he won the assist title; it's that he specifically said to himself and other people, "I think I'll go win the assist title this year," <laughs> and then did it. Like the level of his. I mean, when you when you the footage you do get right, the only comparison I can think of is Giannis. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the things that I kind of came out of this uh, 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 to me, we've you know, going to talk comparisons. One of the things that I came out of this is like, I, I think I'd really like to watch a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar doc. I think there's a great Kareem doc floating out there somewhere. I'm sure probably someone's made one, but I think there's a great one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. It, it, it probably, uh, my guess would be Kareem has not been especially forthcoming with the film rights to his life. But in any yes, event. Yes, I would agree. But I have a feeling now. Uh, we're getting there. Post-winning post time, I feel like maybe he's more incented to do that. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, it's funny, it's not to bring up, but like Jerry West, you know, kind of pops up in this as well, yep. like talking about Wilt, and it's hard not to see winning time Jerry West, and I know that must piss him off so oh, much. Man. They really, um, they really cast that well, and if there's any like prosthetics or anything, like they really made him look like Jerry West, because I had the same, yeah. I had the same like uh, sort of uh, flashback type of thing. I would almost say that's great acting, right? Because that act, you know, that actor, Ace, like Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say he looks that much like Jerry West. You know what I mean? Like, no, I guess not. Have it, the character, right? But so. they put a weird wig on him, and and he really became Jerry West. Pretty impressive stuff. Anyway, <laughs> um, that that it does make me excited for Winning Time to come back. But but all of these. I, and I think Kareem, Kareem in his way was equally dominant, 
And also, I think just a contradiction as a, as a person and a player. You know right. what I mean? Contradiction may be the wrong word. Just contain multitudes. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And you both, they're both misunderstood. Big men, obviously, they have Lakers ties. They're, they have a lot know, in common. But yeah. I, I, I do think from a standpoint of the way they play, Kareem was an extremely refined low post scorer. And Wilt was more force of nature, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in a way that Giannis is the only comparison, and and the the gap between Giannis and the sort of next most ridiculous, big, impressive athlete is not nearly as big as it was between Kareem and the you know George Mikan types that were running around the league when he entered it. But I'm sorry, Wilt and and the George Mikan types. But but that just sort of exerting himself and like. I don't know, shooting it a little bit in a way that guys like Shaq and Kareem didn't really do as much. Um, running the floor at speed in a way that guys like Shaq and Kareem, while incredibly fast and, and certainly in Shaq's case, particularly quick for their size, there just wasn't as much like freestyle to either of their games, I don't think. Yeah, I, I would say the other thing those two have in common, too, is I just think they're both really historically underrated. Um, and I don't want to, you know. You mean Wilt and Giannis? Wilt and uh, Kareem. Oh, um, are they? Yeah, I yeah, I think definitely I think so, right? Like, I mean, Kareem, no to one, me, is pretty unassailably one of the top five players of all time. And yet he's often not mentioned in that conversation. And you don't hear Wilt, is, as they said in the doc, Wilt is... Never really mentioned among the greatest players of all time. I don't and think yet, that's true, though. I feel like Kobe, who who wow. like a, rides on a an eighty point game, I think is one of his you know singular achievements. Uh, often is right. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that both those guys are better players than Kobe Bryant, and yet here we are. So I, you know, I don't. But I don't. I don't think that any there there really are no serious analysts who have Kobe Bryant in their top five. I just don't think that's real. Oh, I strongly disagree with that sentiment. There are quite a few serious analysts who do. Well, you could say their names, and I'm pretty sure I don't think they're serious because (laughs) that's fair. There's not an argument for it. There really is. There is no argument for it because Kobe's not a top five Laker to me, or at least a guy who played for the Lakers. Um, right. I mean, I guess if you, so you're, you're saying, see, I think he's, Definitely a top five Laker. Are you putting Baylor and West ahead of ahead of him? I well, so it's like you know, I put LeBron ahead of him. Oh, I right. Put Magic. I always forget about LeBron. I put Kareem ahead of him. Yeah. Um, I put Wilt ahead of him. Okay. Uh, the the right there, and then and then West, I think, is probably an argument. So yeah. See, um, I I think I probably I am I am someone who tilts. We didn't even get to Shaq. You know, yeah. I probably have had a shack, but I think that's a conversation too. I think that's the conversation. I think that's definitely a conversation. But for me, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of, I guess, if you're counting LeBron, third or fourth best Laker, because I, I, I just tilt forward. Like I, I think I have, I don't know, Kobe, Shaq, Magic, Bird. To me, are in a similar. Like, you can fight about that. LeBron, Kareem, Jordan, Russell, I don't know. Maybe those other guys can fight it out for the fifth position. But for me, Kobe, 
when I actually make the comparison, falls pretty far down the list of that next group. So he ends up somewhere around 10, maybe even closer to 15 if I think for too long. Because, um, you know, I like Duncan, I have to have ahead of Kobe. Garnett is in that conversation for me. Um, it just, the, the long and short of the whole thing is when I actually sit down and try to make sense of it, Kobe probably ends up more in the 10 to 15 range than anything else. But certainly argument, you can make the argument he's in the top 10. There is like a five or seven that I think is pretty clearly better than Kobe in virtually every measurable way. Um, and, and also probably in some unmeasurable ways. It's hard to define exactly what the Kobe thing is. But there is something about the level of fandom that he seems to engender in certain circles that is not quite like any other NBA player, even Michael Jordan, which is kind of incredible since Kobe is a, and I say this with all due respect because it's still an incredible player, poor man's Michael Jordan in almost every way. Um, I, I Like there's just not, there's no comparison. So when people put him in the top five, like that's almost a sign to me not to take a person seriously because it is just not hard to come up with five basketball players that are better than Kobe Bryant. That is sort of beside the point here. It is <laughs> tangent, I, but it, it drives me nuts. I, 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 I think it's a generational thing, right? Like, you know, like I'm a, I'm a magic bird generation basketball fan, right? Like when I yeah. was a kid, those were the guys. Yeah. And to me, I'm probably going to rate Magic higher than most fans are because he was Jordan, you know, not Jordan before Jordan because they were different players, but he he was the NBA until that torch was passed to Jordan in like literally the what was it, the 91 finals. So um, you know, to me, like like I do have him in that that top, top tier group. But um, you know, I think that people who came along in that Shaq Kobe era, right? Like Kobe's their dude. Kobe's their Michael. You know what I mean? And yeah, but it's there's but, like they're those kind of LeBron stands now who will insist that LeBron was better than Jordan, and maybe weren't even around for Jordan. You know what I mean? And yeah, I well, okay. So I don't want to disqualify people from making basketball arguments because they weren't around for things. And then, I do, then there's also the death thing. Obviously, that plays into it too, right? It does. It does. But but I I think there's a level of responsibility if you want to be serious about it to to understand something about what came. And it's not as though Jordan is that long ago. And, and I think I'm more forgiving to the LeBron stands than the Kobe stands because there's never been anything like LeBron before. You know, he's a not unlike Jordan, he's a one of one. And there will be LeBron kids, right? That come along that are LeBrons that aren't as good as LeBron because you never quite match the original. All Kareem's all, a one of one, too, by the way. Who is? Kareem, I think, is a one of one. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Kobe's not. So he just and and that's where probably even Magic and Bird have to be rated for me above Kobe. Like Kobe is a he is a Jordan and he is quite frankly better than just about any other 
next so-and-so in the history of sports has ever been <laughs> like, but, but almost every part of his game from the athletic stuff as a young kid to the turnaround jumper, as he got older, like even the cold blooded, like competitor, dude, all of it, yeah. the whole thing is Jordan. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what happens when Jordan, when there's a Jordan, just like it'll happen with LeBron. But, but, I, I don't know. You just, to me, there's an obvious line to draw there. And Wilt belongs in the one of one category. Yeah, for sure. For so, sure. I'm sorry to bring you on that tangent, but it's always, it's always bothered. It's always, no, it's a, look, it's a basketball tangent. I'm always happy to do yeah. that. Yeah. I got Tim Duncan ahead of Kobe too, but that's in the story for another day. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, full disclosure, we had a, a dropout in the middle of my long speech about basketball players where I did end up mentioning Tim Duncan, but Derek had already fallen off the call at that point. So <laughs> I think uh, that's the litmus test for me. It's like, do you, are you a Tim Duncan guy or are you a Kobe guy? So, but 90% of the world's Kobe, if not more. Oh, I don't think that's true. Oh, I do. Roll in your life. Ask, ask who you think, ask people who you think's better. Well, I talk to a lot of smart basketball people, so it's <laughs> all right. It's not going to be representative, but take that bowl. Take but that bowl. I, I, I think you will find if you look at truly serious basketball analysis, it's much closer to 60, 40 in Duncan's favor than 90% Kobe. I think it feels like 90% Kobe because the people who believe Tim Duncan's a better player probably don't feel the need to argue about it that much. <laughs> it's true. People don't like it when you argue about Kobe. That's the thing is like Kobe's space for this. Yeah, he's one of those athletes because it's not just a basketball thing who breeds a certain rabid fandom where people are like saying someone is somewhere between the 10th and 15th greatest basketball player in the history of the sport is actually a tremendous compliment, you know? There is. But there there are there is a host of angry people online who are ready to take it as an insult to their guy. Yeah. Put out so, a list with Kobe Bryant 12th and see where that gets you. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Which I think is about right and yeah. not at all offensive to him as a player. But, uh, you know, it's it's a loud bunch, the Kobe fans. Sure is. Sure is. Uh, I think right. sometimes we confuse that with their with the size of the group. <laughs> so let's, let's, get it, let's get it back to Wilt, I guess. Yeah, we spun out of control, but listen, Wilt Wilt seems to have been a much nicer guy um, and also uh, a better basketball player uh, than Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And, you know, it's a weird thing to say um, because there is, like, relative to today's players and even today's big men, uh, there's a lack of skill. Um, if, if you define skill as, you know, uh, dribbling, shooting, from distance, etc. But I, I think that also sort of discredits what he was capable of, which was, you know, obviously being utterly dominant from an offensive standpoint, but also doing hard work from a rebounding standpoint. And also, you know, even when he wasn't sort of deciding to lead the league in assists and maybe even passing too much, like capable of being a really good passer and, when it was defined and explained well to him and it made sense to him as a basketball mind playing a style that wasn't all about him scoring. Like he's a remarkably interesting character, clearly a remarkably intelligent person. And 
just a much sweeter soul than anyone probably would imagine who didn't already know. Yeah, and look, and this do- look, it's a document about him. It's going to cape for him a little bit, but of course, you that his legacy sort of he had the misfortune of you know losing some big games in which his team was teams were largely outmanned. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, recurring theme in his career. You know, like, right? Like look, I'm not. You know, we can litigate the Russell Wilt thing over and over again, but I think it's almost unquestioned that Russell had more help. You know what I mean? Like right. He was playing with a lot of good dudes, you know? Yeah, um, and it's so weird, too, how a guy like Wilt has this enduring legacy as a loser, despite two titles, one of them, like, midway through his career. And there are there are guys, more recent players, who had that. You know, Gary Payton can go sneak in a title in Miami at the end of his career, and you don't hear that narrative about him at all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, and by the way, I am not saying you should call Gary Payton a loser. Do that at your own risk. I, I am saying it's weird that like losing a few big games where everyone can acknowledge and frankly, the Hall of Fame can prove to you that the other guy had the better team <laughs> uh, labels you as a loser forever. It's it's it it just goes to show you how much specific and i hate to be saying this because it makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist sounds now but 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 it's true that media narratives can shape a person's enduring legacy at that level of fame and it's kind of a shame uh yes indeed (laughs) media narratives certainly matter and certainly matter when we look back in fact they a lot of times they last longer than the other stuff and i think the you know the twenty thousand women thing you know which i would say is an exaggeration more than a lie like there definitely were a lot of women right they just put a random number on it that probably wasn't true just mathematically Uh, well it sounds like it sounds like it definitely wasn't true i mean it would have been a challenge mathematically uh but but it sounds like he was pretty open to the people close to him that he just made it up um but to your point it doesn't it, it could have been 2000 it's still a ridiculous number <laughs> and like it, it could have just been i have no idea because i'm not counting which right. is probably what the truth was too many and, yeah that's that's basically it too many to count and i'm not sure that that would have shaped his narrative in quite the same way that that specific absurd number did. Yep. You know, it, and it's like, that is one of the only miscalculations this guy made in his entire life in basketball business. And like essentially becoming the first basketball player to be a brand, Yep. you know, like he's a, he's an incredible trailblazer in so many ways. It's a uh, it's a brag born of the t- of a time too, right? Like, did no one yes. do that today? No, right? never. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, should we talk about the leak? Yeah. Um. This was a very different documentary than the other two. Um, <laughs> it. it <laughs> I I really enjoyed this as like a historical document because I find the topic of the Negro leagues and specifically the greatness of some of those athletes, not to mention the social implications. Um, I just think it's, 
you know, I'd read a book about this, right? Um, I think that's a lot closer to what the documentary is and is trying to be than the other two docs we watched. Um, but I think it's quite good, and I certainly learned a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that you you realize you don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I I know very little, uh, as much as I know the the broad arcs of the Negro Leagues, and certainly. I'm aware of, of mo- you know, most of the names of the great players were people I knew, even the ones who never made an impact in, in Major League Baseball, uh, per se. Um, but just the, the mechanics of it all, how, you know, the specific things they were dealing with and, and also accomplishing, it, it's, it's cool. And, I, and although I knew who Rube Foster was, I got a great appreciation for his impact on the game and, and on you know, black baseball generally. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it, yeah, I had so many thoughts that are just out of the toy department thoughts. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, yeah. You know, a, a, about things that are happening now and history that we are making an effort to uh, preserve and history that we are making an effort to definitely push under the rug because it makes some people uh, feel better. Well, uh, right. And really more, more so than that, it's the, it's the pull between the people who want to erase that history and those who do not. Right. I mean, it's, it is, it is an active societal battle right now. I was literally just reading something about it right before we got on here with the ridiculous videos that just got determined to be educational materials in Florida. Like it's, it's scary, frankly. Um, it's hard. It's just it's hard to talk about without getting really sad and angry. Yeah, and the the you know those who do not remember history are doomed to repeat it is is a somewhat obnoxious thing I've heard my whole life. That until the last five or seven years, I never expected to be an active battle in my lifetime. Yeah, um, it's one of those things. It's like it's it was obnoxious. Part of it was obnoxious because it's so obviously true, right? right. You know what I mean, like, yeah, of course. Of course, um, we don't have to talk about that. Right. <laughs> of course, that's true. Right. But now, apparently, it's not obvious to everybody. Or it is, um, which is an even scarier thought. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> it does seem that far too many people uh, do actually want history to repeat itself in ways that are uh, pretty disturbing. So, yeah, that's, I mean, without going too far down that road, uh, as is our want on this podcast, it is, I think, an important historical document, um, and I would recommend. I would recommend it first of all as a as a documentary film. I would also just recommend that people buy it if they want history like this to be told and preserved as much as possible. Because you know this is an example of something, and the same happened. I mean, I guess there's probably still a few left, but the same happened with the Holocaust during our lifetime. Um, you know, we, we do want to make sure we get as many of these stories told while there's still a few guys around who were there. Um, and I, I think it is worth noting, and I don't want to give Major League Baseball uh, too much of a pat on the back because uh, they were the perpetrators to begin with here. Yeah. Or at least uh, some part of the perpetration. Right. Uh, but I do think as a game that is deeply concerned with its history, I, I think that they have done a decent job of of welcoming 
uh, Negro League Baseball into the broader history of the game. Um, yeah, I mean, really, there have been some significant steps in that in the last couple of years that are good. Um, so they're doing better than the state of Florida, that's for sure. Yes, <laughs> it's low. It's a low bar, but they have cleared it. Yeah, it is a sadly low bar, but but uh, thank you, baseball, for doing at least that. Um, and and I think you know, hopefully, that is a sign of things to come, right? And not just a couple of uh, bones thrown to uh, the community that appreciates knowing the history, even even the stuff that has some warts to it. Yeah, well, look, and I, I think it's interesting, right? That post, you know, it's sort of a brief point in the doc, but like post Negro leagues, you know, there was a sort of golden age of of African American baseball players. Yep. Somewhere along the way, we kind of lost that, right? Like it's 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 largely missing uh, from the current game now. You know, fortunately, I think you know the the uh, Latin players have sort of picked up a lot of that void. Yeah, but um, I do think sort that of their golden age now almost, you know, but. I, but I do think that telling this story from a broad standpoint, just the fact that the legacy of African-Americans in baseball in this country, first of all, is as old as the legacy of baseball itself. And, and second of all, is largely responsible for the most exciting and interesting yeah. and fun parts of the game. I think that is an underutilized tool for raising the participation in those communities today it, it, you know makes you realize that the i think the game would be a lot better off today if more 100 percent. so 100 percent. um <laughs> now i by the way every time i say 100 percent now i feel like a douchebag um after <laughs> watching that scene in vengeance with bj novak and john mayer <laughs> Who like what a great John Mayer cameo. Tremendous. And and I would say, like arguably or or potentially playing himself. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Well, because the one time you see his name, it's the phone comes up John when yeah. he calls. Yeah. The names of the phone are also pretty great. Pretty excellent. Um <laughs> let's should we talk about Mrs. Maisel at all? We had a a, a, a an email or a tweet. I don't know. I don't know how. Yeah. Else. Did you uh, did you finish? I did. Yeah. Me too. Um, yeah. Why don't we? Since we're here, after all, I love that this show, front to back, loved it, and I thought they really landed the plane in what I would say was a for me at least, a tremendously unexpected way that I found emotionally both cathartic and satisfying. Um, there were some warts on this character that ha- that sort of could not be ignored in a faithful <laughs> telling of the story, most notably her general selfishness and particularly in the face of her own children. Um, and that was all part of it. But in the end... Like I teared up repeatedly over the course of the last two episodes. Um, I just loved all these characters so much. I thought everyone did such a good job. And I think it's a story well told. Yeah. I mean, I thought this season was one of the better seasons. 
Yeah, uh, I think it was maybe the most thoughtful about. I think they really took time to think about what was in store for each of these characters, and I think they they laid it out in a hilariously and and emotionally believable way. Yeah, and I think really, you know, obviously there's, there's I think more more playing with time in this season than any other yep. season by by quite a good bit, and I think they really used that um, effectively to give you. You know, obviously, right, like you see a lot of these series finales where there's some giant time jump into the future so that you get the, you know, how these people end up. And this this sort of did all that work throughout the season. So, yes, you, you know, you you kind of have a sense of of where they are, but where they are was very much in keeping with who they were. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I just thought some of the writing was really incredible, it, it, you know, um to me the scene and I, I think it's in the next to last episode um uh where abe is uh dining with his colleagues from the village voice and he kind of has yes. this realization about midge and um well and really know, about feminism right i mean right. it's it is about yeah. women in general and his own you know and his granddaughter and uh, all of, you know it's all a piece of this right that all of this was happening right before his own eyes and he kind of just they just missed it you know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and the way that that speech is laid out, I just thought was really, really brilliant. Um, and, uh, you know, it's this movie gets a lot of things or the show got a lot of things. You know, I mean, I think it it, it got New York. It certainly got New York in a certain time period as, as an interesting character, you know, celebration of, of Jewish culture in a lot of ways. Um and you know, I think it, it it had its eyes open to who these people were, where they lived, what that meant, and you know, it's easy to kind of get lost in the snappy dialogue. Uh, and, and I I don't think that it ever did, and and it managed to be funny the whole way through, the whole way. And, and I think that's that sort of I'm trying to say this without denigrating the other show uh but the, to me what, what you just described is what makes it stand out from something like gilmore girls which is a totally enjoyable like i get it i i'm not a diehard or anything but I, I i get the love for gilmore girls and i'm not mad at it um but it often gets lost in the snappy dialogue right i mean and that's part of its charm i think is being so over the top um while this had the same sort of snappy, clever, funny characteristic to it, I think it's a much more serious and elevated show in a way, right? It's it's doing a lot more work, as you say, to celebrate a particular Jewish culture of that time, to talk about feminism and racism and talk about, you know... Uh, uh, why am I having a an embarrassing brain fart? Uh, homophobia is the word I'm looking for. Th- though those are all topics that this takes on pretty seriously and heavily, while also being snappy and funny almost the whole time. And I think that's a really delicate tightrope to walk. That they not only walked successfully for five seasons, but also like really wrapped up the story. And I thought, you know, a pretty rarely high level and successful way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I would with everything that you just said, I, I think it's, 
I don't know. I thought it was a really. It, it, I don't know. It's. It's. I don't know if it's a pantheon show, if you will. Like it's not. Right. I think people talk about it that way, but it. I would say it is of the highest quality. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't. I was thinking about that throughout this conversation. Like, is it a pantheon show? And and I like. I don't necessarily think it is either, but I guess I struggle to point to out specifically what <laughs> yeah. determines that. Yeah, it, like it, it, it's pretty much as good as it as as if it was one of those shows. Yeah, you know? I, mean, I think it absolutely um, could be. I think maybe my point was more like I, it's not talked about in that kind of way. It doesn't right. mean, because I think the show takes some really big swings, and it, you know, it, it 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 was occurring to me like you know, as they, as they're kind of fading out in the credits of the final episode there, and they're sort of showing you these sets that you'd seen over the course of time. And you really, yeah. like how many people were involved or like, like gigantic musical numbers or like just in this right. alone. And like all the background stuff to produce those from just a, like a TV standpoint, like all, all the background stuff, just to not yeah. have anachronisms all over the place. Right. Like it's, it's a, it's a pretty remarkable thing and, and no easy task. None of, none of that scenery that populates five seasons of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel exists anymore. It's yeah. all recreated for the purposes of the show, and that's that's something. You think about the worlds that they built over the years, whether it was Gordon Ford's office or yeah. you know, ice skated Rockefeller Center or the department store that she yeah. worked, you know, early on. And like these are massive things, you know, that um that they use repeatedly. The nightclub that Joel worked in, right? You know, the right. factory and um yeah, all of it. So pretty cool uh, stuff. Very cool stuff. And quite a quite a television achievement. And um uh yeah, I think I will I will miss Mrs. Maisel. And I think it ended, I would say like it was it was a perfect amount, you know what I mean? Like right. Um it didn't dawdle, it was not on for too long. Um yeah. you know, I I I agree. I yeah. agree. Really, well, I mean, really a good one. I'll I it is a show I will return to and expect to enjoy very much uh, on a, another viewing. Yeah, it's it's I it's weird because I did kind of just leave it sitting around for a while because we got so much stuff to watch. Right, uh, right. It just it's just hard to to feel as urgent in your fifth season as anything that's in the first two. Right, like it's just it, it's a tough one. But um, I'm glad we did this. Yeah, indeed. All right, uh, should we uh, do some homework? Remember, we are uh, we're taking another week off uh yeah so we're two weeks two weeks and when you do that you can waste a whole summer away and all of a sudden it's time for the challenge again Woo! challenge (laughs) time baby challenge usa and i looked into it it is actually going to be um all of the non previous competitors are from big brother survivor and the amazing race it's all cbs shows um and of course there are also some challenge vets you know of one or two seasons that come from those shows as well uh cory is back fessy and josh are both here uh wes and bananas are both here amanda making her return uh, we will have to deal with michelle but otherwise it it looks pretty good is she playing on team survivor michelle i don't know man yeah <laughs> i guess we'll, we'll talk about that next time and we'll okay. also hopefully talk about her getting eliminated do you? Did, I don't even think you mentioned Johnny Bananas. I said Wesson Bananas. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Sorry. Good. All right. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be a good season. Yeah. Um, 
Hey, hey, so we've got that going on. Uh, we're going to watch the quarterbacks uh, show that's on Netflix. Um, I feel like a lot of people have been talking about this one over the course of it. If anyone uh, has any hot tips on like time marks for how to skip the Kirk Cousins parts, you just just send me a send me a tweet at the Kolsky. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm all full up on Kirk Cousins, this, uh, but I've agreed to watch this nonetheless. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, those are the parts that get the most discussion around here. So I, I feel like I know quite a, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess I like if I'm going to participate in football conversation with someone living in Minneapolis, I need to get up on Kirk Cousins. I guess yeah. both both what's what was included, what's not included. Um, <laughs> I'm fairly aware of. Um, so we're gonna watch that. We're gonna watch Full Circle, which is one of those things that like probably if you popped on a Max in the last couple of months, maybe you've seen the thing and went, "Why haven't I heard about this?" The um, cast is incredible, and it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. So like. I want to have high hopes. Yeah. Maybe maybe put in an ad for it. I don't I don't know. Would it kill you, David Zaslav? Yeah, seriously. Whatever um, your stupid name is. Yeah. You know? Uh Zaslov, I believe this is <laughs> No, I know his name. I'm just just wanted to call him stupid. Uh that's fine. Maybe yeah, maybe a promo during winning time, perhaps, which that I have seen some ads for. Uh that's returning. Uh, we're going to watch that. And Res Dogs is back for season three as well. So Reservation Dogs, I should say. Yeah. And I think by the really night, by the time, by the time we're talking, we'll have three episodes of Reservation Dogs, which I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for, you know, it's one of those things that I don't necessarily think about all the time uh, when it's not on, but when it comes back, I'm so excited. Yeah. We'll probably talk about it briefly. and be like, it's still awesome, but we want to make sure you're watching it. So it's in the Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah. All right. And uh and that is it. Uh I've got uh Lollapalooza between now and then. Oh um, yeah, you're gonna be here. I, I never heard anything about my free ticket, but uh, you know, maybe we can squeeze in a lunch or something. Yeah, well, it doesn't sound like you're long on concert time available. No, there's almost no way I could have gone to any part of Lollapalooza <laughs> anyway. So don't feel bad. Okay. Um I will not feel bad, but maybe we'll be able to get together in the interim. Yeah, we'll like we'll record five minutes of podcast content if we see each other. All right, sounds good. Okay, bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The lights out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the Jello is jiggling. So long, everybody, and do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.